These nights are really special uh, because I think that they are uh, a night where we're, we're able to stretch and become all that God wants us to be. And so uh, the story that I'm going to share with you tonight, actually I've never read in the Bible. I'm not going to lie, I've never read it before. And I don't even know it was in the Bible. Uh, and, and so I'm excited uh, to share it with you tonight. Uh, tonight I want to talk to you about what I would call the disease to please. The disease to please. The struggle that, that I have, it, this is a personal struggle, but I believe it for many of you it will also be a struggle. The struggle to, to please people over pleasing God. The, the, the struggle to, to allow what other people think about me take precedence with, with and over what God thinks. In other words, making people much bigger than God in my life. I've always struggled with this from, from a young age, and I think many of you have as well. And, and here, here's the thing about it. Uh, one of the hardest steps to becoming all that God wants you to be is figuring out that you don't have to be all that someone else wants you to be. That was really good. Nobody said amen. Let me read it again. Okay, because you're not listening, right? One of the hardest steps to becoming all that God wants you to be is figuring out that you don't have to be all that someone else wants you to be. All right, there you go. It's, It's really hard. Listen, it's really hard for me to instead of living from the approval of God, live for the approval and applause of other people. And, and maybe you're not, you're not real enough with yourself and you're saying, I don't live, I don't care about what people think about me, I don't blah, blah, blah. I, I'm just going to open your eyes. Some of you refuse to say hi to somebody tonight when I ask you to say hi. It's because you're a people pleaser. Here's four questions that I'll have you answer, that if you answer yes to any of them, you're struggling with this. And the, and the truth is, If you don't figure this out, it will keep you from being all that God wants you to be. When you're more obsessed with what other people think about you than you are with what God thinks about you, it's really easy to get off the road towards God's God's perfect plan for your life. It's really easy to get distracted. So I'm going to give you four. They're going to be up on the screen. Uh, The first one is, uh, do you tend to take most criticism personally? Listen, nobody can criticize me without me taking it personally. Nobody. Nobody. I've had people tell me well, after I'm done preaching, right, uh, I'll come off and they'll be like, uh, and it started away when I, was, when I was like a new preacher. I had an old lady one time. I got off and she said, uh, bless your heart, you're getting better. <laughs> uh, you laugh, it still happens today. Like, I'll get off the stage, I'll just preach. I already feel bad about myself because I stuttered too much and I yelled too much and I didn't say the point in number three that I wanted to say and everybody didn't hear how good it was going to be and all this other stuff and then somebody says, you're, you're trying. <laughs> or, or somebody online says something about our church or something about me. I, I have a hard time with, with criticism, even from my, my own wife. Whenever, usually I come back to her and I say, you were right. But when she initially does it, I have a hard time with it because I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I want, I want people to be pleased with what I say. When, when I preach, I don't want anybody to be mad at me ever. And the only way to not get anybody mad at you is never to say anything, Right? Do you have a hard time when people criticize you? Do you get upset? Another one is this. Is do you feel an extraordinary fear of rejection? I just talked about it. If I told you to hug somebody and all of a sudden everything in your body got tight and you started sweating from every crevice of your body and you were worried that when you went to hug someone, they would have chose the person on the other side of you, so you just sat down. You have a massive fear of, 
of, reje- of rejection. This, this, this started for me when I was in seventh grade. I remember a kid on my baseball team in seventh grade at Boyertown Junior High East. He, everybody was dipping. I didn't even know what dip was. I was a Christian kid, right? Like, I'm like, I don't know what dip is. So he gave me this bandit. I thought it was, I thought it was uh, a candy. So I, I ate it. I swallowed it. I, I just put it in my mouth. I didn't know what it was. And the reason I, I swallowed it is because everybody else was doing it. And I didn't want them to make fun of me. I, I didn't want to be laughed at or ridiculed. I've struggled with this my entire life. Uh, another thing is if, uh, another question is, do you have a hard time expressing your true feelings? Like if somebody says something to you and you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Are you like, that's, that's cool? Because that's what I do. If I'm ever in a conversation with you and I think what you're saying is completely ridiculously stupid, most of the time I'll go, oh yeah, that's cool. But what I mean is, you're so stupid. This is the dumbest thing I've ever... I literally, I feel stupid now that I listen to you say that. Anybody else have, like, that's awesome. You say that's awesome. You mean that's not awesome, right? Nobody says that's awesome anymore. Uh, another one is this. Uh, another question that I think is, do you, you're laughing because it's true, right? Do you tend to have a hard time saying no? I used to. And so every person in this church asked me to help them move. I was like, no, if you ask me now, I don't even care if you're my brother. No, I'll move myself, you move yourself, right? Figure it out. Don't, don't call the church and ask me to help you move. I actually do work one day a week, right? The other days I'm golfing. Don't bother my tea time, right? That's a joke, by the way. I quit golfing, it's too expensive. You have a hard time saying, saying no. Can't ever say no to anybody. You don't want to do it. And then as soon as you do it, the whole time you're doing it, you're, you're like, this is so stupid. Why would they do this? And you're talking bad about them. Or you and your spouse are in the car and you're following them in the car to somewhere they invited because you didn't say no and you haven't seen your spouse and the whole time you're talking bad about them in front of you in the car. You have a parent, you have a, a sibling, they always ask you to do stuff, but it's always self-centered, right? And you can't tell them no and the whole time you resent them. The truth is you're struggling with being a people pleaser. Now, I don't want you to confuse the command to love with the disease to please. I'm not telling you tonight, this is free reign for you to be a jerk to everybody. But but love and being a people pleaser, they're a lot lot different. And and, and the truth is, is becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to travel away from what God is calling you to and where God wants to to bring you. Like, it, 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 it will take you Real far away. So we're going to jump into a, to a story tonight about a man named Moses. Now, if I say David, I mean Moses, but I'm preaching on David on Sunday. So when I was practicing, I kept saying David and Moses. So you know where I'm at, right? I love Moses because Moses was called to a, an impossible fight. God meets Moses in a burning bush. You remember the story. Moses lived for 40 years in Egypt as a prince of Egypt. He loses his temper one night. He murders a soldier. He runs into the wilderness. He meets a man named Jethro. Jethro has a beautiful daughter named Zipporah. He lives a very common life. He spends 40 years in the wilderness. His life should be should be easy and fun. And, and oftentimes, I need you to understand this. When God calls you, erects you, or brings you into the fight, it, it's a lot harder than when, if you could just hang out in the wilderness. Like if he would have just stayed in the wilderness, if he would have just hung out, but there's no greatness in the wilderness. There's, there's, there's no greatness to be had when you, when you run from the fight. So, so God meets uh, Moses at the burning bush, tells him to take off his sandals, and says, you're standing on holy ground, and Moses is kind of freaking out, and he says, guess what? I'm taking you back to the fight. You've been running for 40 years, I'm taking you back to Egypt. You're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to be the leader of the million slaves that have been there for 400 years. It's time to rescue my people. Do you see why I love the story of Moses? It sounds similar to our call. 
It's 4.8 million people that are in slavery in our area. And God hopefully wakes you up at a burning bush experience where he says, hey, you're standing on holy ground. You've been standing on normal ground your entire life. But, but today, I'm going to do something special. But listen, I'm going to take you back to an impossible fight that I'll win. Take you back. The story says that Moses had an argument with God. You ever been there? He stutters, which Jordan was telling me because he read this story a few weeks ago. He said, actually, because I thought Moses stuttered his entire life, but the Bible leads, you, leads us to believe that Moses was actually very eloquent up to the point that he murdered somebody. When, when he murdered somebody, the, the past, the, the shame, the regret, it caused him to have a stuttering problem. So for 40 years, he's haunted by his past, and then God says, we're going back. Your past is no longer going to haunt you. I'm actually going to use it for my glory. I'm taking you back. So the Bible says that Moses then goes to, to, to his father-in-law, and this is where I want to pick up. I never read this before in my life. And so the Bible says this in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 18. It says that Moses goes back to Jethro, uh, his father. It says, and let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go and I wish you well. Now the Lord has said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you. They're, they're now dead. You're, you're going back. God's perfect timing. So Moses took his wife and sons. Really important to highlight that. He has, we think, two sons. He has more than one because it says sons, all right? That's what I know. So he took his two sons, put them on a donkey, started back to Egypt. And he took the staff that God had given him in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so he will not let my people go. What? Hold on, hold on. You just took me out of my comfortable life. Send me into an impossible fight, which, by the way, is where I murdered somebody. You're sending me back. You told me it was going to be easy, but on the way, after I've already left God, I'm in the middle of the desert somewhere now. I can't turn around. I'm on a donkey. Hey, by the way, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's not going to listen to you. All right? That's what I wanted to preach on. I was like, that's really good. Because oftentimes when God calls you into a fight, it becomes harder before it becomes easier. Why does it become harder? Because now you're a threat to Satan. He's going to attack you with all of his might. He's going to keep you away from the call of God. So if your life is difficult, if you're in a fight right now, if you thought you were going in the right direction and it's gotten harder, chances are you're in the middle of the wilderness on a donkey and you're okay. Pick it up and keep, keep going. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. I mean, he's telling Moses, man, this is, I want you to get right in Pharaoh's face. And I want you to tell him this, right? But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. It's prophetic. This is what happens in Egypt. Now, I want you to go down to the next verse, because this is the part I've never read before. They're stopping. Moses keeps going at some point. He's going at a lodging point on the way. The Lord met Moses, so oftentimes God, Moses and God would hang out. That's really cool, isn't it? The Bible says that Moses would come away from God and be radiant. And God was about to kill him. <laughs> what? The heck is going on? Like I read that, I was, I was reading, I was like, what? I was like, okay, G-O-O-G-L-E. Let me figure out what this means. That's Google, by the way. And so <laughs> it was about to kill him. Verse 25 says, but, but Zipporah, that's his wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, if you're under the age of seven, ask your parents about that later, and touch <laughs> Moses' feet with it, right? What the heck is going on here? And then listen to what it says. Surely you're, bride, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. One, one translation says, you are a bloody husband to me. She cuts off 
Her, hus- her, her sons, you know what? You can talk to your kids about it later. She throws it at his feet and she says, you are a bloody husband. Now, theologians believe Moses wrote this book. So you've ever had a fight with your, with your spouse and somebody's like, were you fighting? And you're like, yeah. But you don't want to tell them what was really said? I think this is like the G-rated version. She, she is mad at Moses, but check out what happens then. So the Lord, so the Lord then let him alone. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom blood referring to, the cir- to circumcision. What the heck just went on here? He's traveling. It's going to get hard. They get to a stopping lodge. God wants to kill Moses. Moses' wife does surgery on one of their sons. God's cool. They keep going. Here's what happened. I Googled it. Because I had no idea. I was like, I don't know. I never talked about this. Never heard this. This was not in the Prince of Egypt, right? This had not happened in the movie. So let me give you a little background. Jewish people, God gave them a covenant, Abraham, from the day of Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, gave him a, gave him a, a co- made a covenant with them and said, here's, here, here's the first step in, in the covenant, the outward step of, of your heart. And so he said, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to circumcise every boy, Jewish boy that's born. It, it, it's a sign of, of obedience that your heart is committed to me. It's the first step. It's really hard to build a life of faith if you don't take the first step of obedience. So the very first step, I want you to perform this, this surgery, and it is a sign that me and you were set apart for each other, that, that I have a covenant with you. I have a plan for your life. So, so here's what happened. They're in, they're in the wilderness. Moses is figuring out his Jewish heritage because he spent 40 years in the palace. And, and for his first son, because the Bible says he has sons, and God is only mad at one, one of the sons. That's what it implies. So he took one of the sons. So this, in my head, this is what happened. This might not be it at all, but this is what happened. At some point, Zipporah and Moses had the first baby, and, God, and Moses was like, okay, let's, 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 do, the, let's do it. Let's do the circumcision. Eighth day, want to be, wanna be uh, in good, good relationship with God, want to show him we're committed to him. We do the, 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 the circumcision. The baby's eight days old. He doesn't remember it. I don't know if you have little boys. It's an awful thing. And so you're like, I hope you don't need counseling someday. You'll be fine, though. You know, you're not European. We don't want you to be weird, so we're going to do this. And so anyway... We went to a midwife the first time. We had all these confusing, confusing conversations about it. And so if you didn't do it, it's fine. Uh, but, but we did. And so anyway, a little TMI. So the baby heals. But in my head, maybe the surgery has caused a little bit of pain to the baby. And Zipporah, being, being a woman, is like, my, my baby. It really hurts. He's looking, he's, he missed. You know how mom, first time moms are. They're like helicopter mom. He's so hurt. And so the next baby comes, and Moses, because he wants to keep peace in his own family, he wants to be a people pleaser, he's like, you know that thing we're supposed to do? You were really upset last time. I don't want to deal with it anymore, woman. So we're just not going to do it. So then they're going to, to Egypt, and he's saying, God, I'm all in. I'm going to this fight. I'm obedient to you. I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh. And, and they're going, and they, they get in a, into a tent somewhere, and they're hanging out or meeting, whatever. And in the middle of it, God's like, hey, Moses. You can't go be obedient to the call that I've given on your life if you haven't yet been obedient to the command that I gave you with your other son. But the other son is now older than eight days old. If you can't displease your wife, there's no way you're going to go say exactly what I want you to say to Pharaoh. When you tell Pharaoh to let my people go and we send up some frogs and he says no, you're going to run. When we send boils and he says no and he laughs, you're going to want to run and please me. You're going to be terrified. I need you to stick it out to the end. 
If you're going to be a stick it out leader, if I'm going to stretch you, how can you not, how are you going to live if you can't even displease your wife? I know she's mean. I've seen her face. I made her. <laughs> so then he comes to support her because he's like, God's going to kill me. He told me, I'm going to kill you. Like, if God says he's going to kill you, you better figure out what he wants you to do. So he goes to his wife, Zipporah, and he's like, hey, we've got to circumcise our 10-year-old. I don't know how old he is. And then the weird thing is the Bible says Zipporah does it. But here's the thing. The reason Zipporah does it is because when, when, I, when, I, when, when Carter was about a year and a half, uh, something like that, we could not yet afford rockers in the nursery. We didn't have any money at Limerick. And so we put the chairs that clicked together down in the nursery, and, and they had those little, those little steel things that stick up. Carter's one and a half years old. Thank God it was my kid. And somebody would have sued us and closed the church down. He falls into one of those. He has a big cut on his forehead. And one day I'm preaching on a Sunday morning, and I see my wife run out with our first helicopter parent run out, taking him to the emergency room. I get there. And this little guy is in this bed, and they're going to have to strap him up or, or stitch him up. But because he was so wiggly, he's a year and a half, and he's strong, they put him in this little thing where they locked his body, and it was one of the saddest things. And he screamed and screamed. They put the stitches in, and we put him in his car seat. They come home, and he just fell asleep. <laughs> so you can imagine, if this kid's older, he's strong. Zipporah's not going to be able to hold the kid down. So Moses says, I'm going to hold him. You're going to cut him. <laughs> Think about this. That's gross. And so, so Moses holds him down, and in the pain and in the, the stretching moment, Zipporah cuts and does the, the surgery and throws it at Moses' feet and says, I'm done. You bloody husband. If he, if he wouldn't have been able to stand up to his wife, and here's the thing about being a people pleaser, often it's those closest to you that it's hard to stand up to. I'm not talking about the people that don't know you. I'm talking about the people that are close to you, the people that will consistently call you away from God, the people that are too big in your own life. Here's three things that I think are true uh, about, about being a people pleaser, people pleasing truths. Number one is this, is I want you to take a deep breath and go like this. Here's a big one. We, you and me, we are always going to disappoint someone. You are always going to disappoint someone. In this situation, think about it. He's either going to disappoint God or he's going to disappoint his wife. And I did a little more studying because you never hear Zipporah again. He disappointed her so bad that she packed up her donkey with her two sons and she went back to her father. She didn't even come with him to Egypt. I mean, could you imagine? Moses has a family, marries Zipporah, he loves Zipporah, has a couple boys. God calls him to a burning bush. God tells him in the middle, by the way, it's going to be harder than you think. Hey, by the way, you didn't do what I told you to do when your one son was eight days old. It's time to circumcise him. And, and, and Zipporah goes, if you do this, I'm done with you. If, if you. if you listen to God right here, and here's the problem with listening to God. Oftentimes, the voice of God will not make sense to the brain of your friend. Oftentimes, the voice of God will not make sense to the brain of your, of your family member. It will, it will sound different. And at some point, you're going to have to come to terms, I am always going to disappoint someone. In other words, everyone is not always going to like me. And the truth is, most people don't even like themselves. 
You will always disappoint someone. In fact, the book of Galatians 1 says this. Watch this. Paul says this. And weirdly enough, this is also about circumcision. But, but in the New Testament, God said, hey, circumcision is now uh, it's covered by the, by the blood of Jesus. And so, thank God we don't got to circumcise anymore. Uh, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a covenant you have to keep. It comes from, from the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they were bringing it back saying, no, no, no. In, Gal- in Galatians, they were saying, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you, you, you can accept Jesus, but you also have to do, do the circumcision. And so Paul goes and preaches, and you can imagine as he begins to preach and ruin this platform, people start to get mad at him. People start to get confused by him. People start to get angry. And this is what he says in Galatians 1. Am I now trying to win the approval of human human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Watch this. If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If my desire was to please people, in other words, pleasing God will many times come at the expense of pleasing others. It's just the way that it is. I've seen it to be true for the last 10 years. As I believe that God has given us a very specific call on our church. I've been in church my entire life. I am a connoisseur of churches. And I know without a shadow of doubt that God has called us very specifically to reach people far from God. To put our best resources and our best time and our best energy and our best effort and everything we think about into reaching reaching people far from God. But here's the thing. As we've listened to the voice of God, it's also caused a lot of criticism from church people. I'll give you some examples. There's been times where people have come in and they've been like, can we just start a mom's group? Like, I just want a mom's group. I like, want a mom's group. But we've had people come back and people that I love desperately. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think we have time to do that. Now, if you want to start a mom's group in your house and invite people, that's completely fine. Moms are going to be moms. They're going to hang out and do that thing. But I don't know that we can have a mom's group in our church and do these things and also continue to reach. Because here's the thing. I have been in churches where they have every ministry you could possibly think of. Yet if you look at their statistics, they haven't reached one person for Jesus in years. Not one. And the whole time, people in the mom's group, the mops, whatever you call it, in the men's groups, eating wings, in the elderly group, hanging out, playing checkers or chess or whatever elderly people do. I don't know, ask your parents. And so... uh, and all these other things you're doing, and, and, and the whole time God's going, what about the world? No, 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 no. And the problem is when you don't do those type of things, some people go, this is not church. This is like an evangelistic thing. Yeah. That's why the church, the church exists for the world. It's not the other way. The church, God didn't say, hey, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to step out of eternity. I'm going to put this building on the earth. And now all the good people come, and we're just going to hang out sing kumbaya. Come on, it'll be fun. It's not fun. Church people are the worst, right? There's other times in our, in our church, like we've had people try out for worship. And we believe everybody has a place, right? Everybody has a place. But many times your place is not singing, right? <laughs> because we also believe wholeheartedly in excellence for God. That we don't want anything to be a distraction. And if you've ever heard somebody sing in a microphone that can't sing, they are 100% a distraction. There's times church people come, they're like, I used to sing at my church when I was 13. And they'll try out. I've been up in the sound booth. I'm like, I'm going to get my camera ready for this. <laughs> Only did that once because that's wrong, right? <laughs> and then we go, you know what? We have another place for you. We have a place behind this thing. We have a place anywhere besides singing, right? <laughs> and they take their ball and they go to another church. <laughs> okay. Whatever, right? Or tough conversations in your life. 
at our church, you know how many times that we, we run into people and you're like, man, they ain't doing something they're not, they're not supposed to be doing. But if I talk to them, they're going to leave and take like 25 other people with them. We've had to make tough, tough decisions. Well, who am I going to disappoint? Am I going to get to heaven one day? God's going to say, why didn't you have that conversation with that person that was about to ruin their marriage? Why didn't you talk to them? Well, God, I just didn't want them to take the 25 other people with me. With them. And God's saying, no, no, no. What are you worried about those 25 other people? There's 4.8 million people that don't go to church right now. And you're going to hold on to the cancer in your church or the, the person that's causing problems or the person that's going through something they're not supposed to be going through at the expense of reaching them. So you have to decide, ultimately, who you're going to offend. At some point, it's going to be either God or man. And for many of us, we, we, choose, we, choose, we choose to disappoint God, right? And here, here's number two, when that happens, I think this is so important, is people pleasing then is really just idolatry. It's idolatry. Here's what an idol is, because I think we, we think of idols were like little wooden things they put in, into a into a temple somewhere, but an idol can be anything. Here's what an idol is. An idol is anything we think about are fearful of and spend more time on than God. So for instance, summer is some people's idols. That's true. Like, it's like summer's here, oh, I need it, right? Trust me, I know, we need it. Or in the fall, football gets here and it's like, that's, you know, I won't be at church because we have football. Or, 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 or kids can become your idol, or your wife can become your idol, or your husband. Can be, we've had people get married, and they're like, I'm done serving for six months. That is a recipe for disaster in your life, by the way. You're, you're, you're going to stop serving so you can get married and figure out how to serve, because guess what? The only way you're going to stay married is if you serve the other person. If you come in and say, hey, what's, here's what I want. Here's my list of five things. I'm a man. I need sex on this day. I need you to do my wash. I need you to do my, uh, do, my, do, do my towels, I need you to do my shoes, I need all this stuff, I need, I need you to leave me alone when I come home for like two hours because I have had a really stressful day. Instead of saying, how can I serve? Like, like people will say stuff like, I, I, I don't really want to serve. Maybe, maybe it's your kids and sports. Sports is a really big idol. For, for Moses, his idol at that point was Zipporah. He was really into keeping Zipporah happy. And, and at some point, he had to step away and go, okay, I can't keep Zipporah happy and not die. And here, you might not die physically, but you will most certainly die spiritually. The moment that God's voice is not the most important voice, the moment that he's a commodity, think about that. The creator of the heavens and the earth, you have the audacity to look at him and say, this person is bigger than, than you. That, 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 if you think about that, they are my idol. And the problem with an idol is you put expectations on them that only God can handle and eventually they crumble. When you look at somebody and you say, love me, love me, love me, are you pleased with me? Are you happy? You're following a moving target. In fact, this is what the Bible says in John 12 that, he, that says about the struggle for people because this has been happening for years. In John 12, 42, it says, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved human praise more than they loved the praise of God. I remember when I was 11 years old, this started for, for me. I remember like it was yesterday. I played baseball at Boyertown. I've told you before. And we played uh, through the league, and then in the summer, you, you have tournament teams. So I was on a tournament team one time, but my parents were pastors, and so a lot of the games and tournaments were early on Sunday mornings, and then you, if you won, you would keep playing. So oftentimes, my parents would say, it's okay if you're on the tournament team, but you can't go on Sunday mornings. Listen to that. That's really good advice. 
I'm not a mass murderer, right? I'm faithful to my wife. I, like, it will help. You want your kids to turn out well? Do not make church a commodity. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen parents do. Dumb. Stupid. Like, hear me. I can't say it in any worse way. It is the most ridiculous thing parents do. So my parents said, you can play, but you can only play in the afternoon. And there was one other kid named Jeff Bean. His parents were also Christians. Some of you say that's judgmental. I'm assuming nobody else was a Christian because nobody else made church important. So they were all there, so me and Jeff Bean would go to this game, but I quickly realized I would ride with him up with his parents, because my parents were pastors, so they were still working, so we would go to church, ride up with him, and, and, and as we rode up, I quickly realized that, that we were different than everybody else, that, that we, like people were like, well, where were you at? I, I was at church. The first person, first time I told somebody I was at church, they were like, <laughs> I hit a home run. I mean, you're 11, this is Boyertown, who cares? Like, I, I, I remember this feeling. Weirdly enough, Jeff never cared. He was bigger than everybody else. He was by far the best baseball player in Boyertown at that time. He did things I'd never seen little kids do before. And he, could, he was completely, I was at church. I was, here's my Bible verse. Here's my favorite thing. Here's my Christian fish. <laughs> and so quickly, as we went along with this, I started telling my parents, I don't want to ride with him. I don't want, and when I would get there, I would be so over-consumed. I would separate myself from Jeff Bean, and, and, and I would get away. And I had the problem. I realized really quickly that, that people-pleasing was becoming my idol. The Bible says this of, of people-pleasing in Proverbs 29. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man, it, it, the Bible actually means, is like a hook, a fishing hook stuck in your nose. This happened to my brother when we were seven or eight. He was seven or eight years old. We were at a church picnic. And somebody threw the rod back like this. He was right behind him. And when he pulled it forward, the, 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 the hook, by the grace of God, it was awesome, went right up into his nose. And then the kid pulled it. And literally, it was like, oh. People pleasers are hooked and snared, going everywhere, trying to keep everyone happy. How does that look? You'll, you'll, you'll get hooked in three different ways. You'll, you'll, you'll always be doing, I'll compromise for you. I'll do it. I'm trying to stay faithful to God, but you're not going to talk to me anymore if I stay faithful. Okay, I'm going with you. And you're following them to hell. I'm going to be obedient to, to tithing. Hey, man, we got this great opportunity for you to buy 13 other cars or whatever. All right. Another hook that happens. It's really gross, right? Another hook. It, it's working the over I'll overcommit hook. Whatever it takes to keep you happy. Literally, I hate you. I hate you every day of my life. I always talk bad about you, but I'll follow you. And the problem is, people will take as much as you'll give them. I figured that out a long time ago. Want to help me move? Yeah. Hey, I saw you help somebody else move. Want to help me move? Yeah. I don't care about your family. I don't care about what you're doing. I don't care if you're 36 and you're about to die. Just help me move, okay? As long as you don't leave my church. Don't ever ask me to help me move, right? <laughs> Another one I think is a hook. I will, limit, I will limit my success hook. I'll be embarrassed of the success that God has. Listen, God wants to do immeasurably more you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. And for years, because I'm a people pleaser, I would be embarrassed about what God is doing. I would be ashamed instead of saying, oh, no, no. God has been more than enough for this church. Yeah, we've been given a building twice. How did it happen? I don't, I don't know. I don't want you to get mad, so I don't want to tell you because you don't have a building yet. No, no, no. Because God is good. Because we've been faithful. Because we've been 
giving because we stayed on track to reach those not yet here because we've gone into the impossible fight and we are not afraid of what people think or say about us. So of course he's going to continue to bless us and enlarge our territory. And I am not going to shy away from it. And, and here's what you need to understand. The more successful you get in your life, the more people are going to talk bad about you. Nobody said a word about journey when we had 30 people coming, except for, we're praying for you. It's awful. As it grows, as we get buildings, as we get influence, as we reach more people, all of a sudden, we're watering it down. We're not doing a good enough job. And at some point, I just have to go, I don't give a crap what you say. You're not my idol. You're not what I live for. I live for an audience of, of one. And then no, number, number three, uh, th- this is really important, is the fear of God. Here, here's the antidote for you for tonight, because I wanted to give you a step. The fear of God is the best antidote for the fear of letting people down. H- how do you get past this, right? You become more impressed with the presence of God. I think Moses walked into the presence of God, and he, he was meeting God with God, and he looked at God, and he was like... You are a lot scarier than my wife is. Like, I, she has that face, God, you know, where the nostrils flare up. And God was like, whatever. Yeah, I got you guys. God, she gets really, really mad. And God was like, and thunder, boom. All right, I got you guys. And at some point, he was like, okay, you are much bigger and stronger and more intimidating. And I fear you in a good way. Like, I don't want to let you down. And as I got more uh, fearful of you and more aware of your presence, hey, Zipporah, see you later. I'm going back to my dad. All right. I'm going on vacation to Egypt. I'm taking the boys. That's okay because I've seen the face of God, and I am more impressed with him than I am with you. And for many of you, the reason you are a people pleaser if you look at people and you're intimidated by people and you're worried about what people think about you. And I love this verse. This is such a scary verse uh, for me that I think is so important. In Matthew 10, go to the second one, not, not, Matt, not Psalms 34, but Matthew 10. It says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. Uh, people need to stop being too big in your life. The, the fear of God is the best antidote. I'm saying, you know what? I've seen the Lord. I've been in the presence of the Lord. As those kids came up here tonight, they were very scared of worshiping in front of you. And I was thinking to myself as they were standing there, I saw my, my, my kids standing up here, other people's kids, and I was thinking to myself, hey, dear God, do not let them even look out at some of these insecure, overwhelmed, people-pleasing people. Let them close their eyes and be infatuated and overwhelmed with the presence of God. Some of you, you never worship because you are afraid of what somebody's going to think about you. Yet your God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, sacrificed himself on a cross, took your beating, took your whipping, took your, your cross, went to the tomb, rose from the dead. He defeated your sin. He took over your past. He redeemed your future. And here you are going, I'm, I'm afraid. What if my armpits are sweaty? That's how you know it's good, right? What, what if they look at me? What if, I, what if they hear my singing? Listen, 99.9% of you cannot sing at all. 
That's why we have people with microphones, so it drowns out you and me, so we sound good. You need to be in awe. Listen, the Bible says we're two or more gathered in his name, that God's presence is there. And when God's presence is there, man, I just become in awe of the presence of the Lord. I'm thankful for the presence of the Lord. God's calling us to an impossible fight, but he goes before us. He's with us right now. He gives you the strength that you need. I'm not telling you to be a jerk, but I am giving you freedom today to go, you know what? I am not ruled by what people think about me. I'm not confused by what they say about me. I live my life for the audience of one. Would you stand up for me all over this house? Would you take out your communion? And I think it would be a very fitting time to take communion together. Wouldn't you say that? A very fitting time to be in all of the presence of God. Some of you are going to leave this place and you're going to be bold for the very first time. You've been too worried about it. Some of you from the very first time, you're going to feel freedom. I started feeling the freedom of telling people no a couple years back. It feels good. No. The Bible says, let my no be no, my yes. Not in, a, not in a jerky way, but no, I can't. I can't do that. I won't be there. Can you meet with me at nighttime? No, I can't. Why? Because I have three little kids that are much more important than you. And if I see you, I'm not going to see them. So I'm going to go see them because I'm going to be with them forever. And chances are you're going to get mad at me at some point and leave. And what I figured out, if somebody leaves because I tell them no, eventually I'm not going to be able to tell them yes enough. So I'm okay with it. I want to please God. I want to live for God. I want to have a boldness for God. So let's take out our, our, our communion. Would you just open it up all over this house? Don't you dare throw the plastic on the floor. That's rude. We are a blessing, not a burden in this church. We are givers, not takers. Let's just close our eyes all over this house. Let's think about the presence of Jesus in that upper room. If you don't know about communion, the Bible says, as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed and you're thinking about Jesus, the Bible says on his last night, he gets with the disciples and he says, I want, I want to have a new covenant with you. Takes out bread with his, with his disciples and he says, this is my body. That's going to be given for you in your place. I want you to take this often and I want you to be in awe of what this means for you. The Bible says, by his stripes, you and me were healed. We're healed emotionally. We're healed physically. We're healed in our mind. We're healed of our past. That, that we can be healed. And he broke the bread and he passed it around. Let's pray for this. Jesus, thank you so much for the bread. Thank you for what it represents. Thank you for what you did for us on that cross. Thank you for coming down from heaven. Lord, we, we just want to stop for a second. The Bible says that you're here with us right now. We want to be in awe. We want to go back to that upper room 2,000 years ago where the disciples, I believe maybe they didn't even know fully what was happening until after it happened. But I believe, I believe as they thought back to, to that, maybe in the, the later years of their life as they served you with their whole heart, many of them died for their faith in you. I believe they remembered over and over and over again what you did for them on that cross, what you gave up for them so that they didn't have to. This is your body. We're so thankful for it. We're so thankful as a body of Christ, as a body of believers on mission. Well, this is what we come to celebrate. This is what we're in all of. Let's take the bread.
you keep your eyes closed and think about the, the blood of Jesus that poured on, out on that cross for you? It was the final day of atonement. For up to that time, they would take an animal, they would cut the animal's throat, the blood would pour out, the people would lay their hands, and it would represent that that animal was taking their sin from them. But it was a foreshadowing of the, the death of Jesus Christ on that cross when, when God said, this is the final sacrifice. This is the big one. This blood is going to save people from their sin. It's going to set them free. It's going to give them new life. Think about for a second where you should have been. Your marriage should have been over. You should be addicted. You should be angry. You should be bitter. You should be cutting yourself. You should be bulimic. You should be in a hole somewhere. Maybe some of you should be dead. But God... God came to get you on that cross 2,000 years ago. And Jesus shed his blood for you. They took him off that cross. They put him in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front. And they said, it's finished. But God said, no, no. It's just beginning. On the third day, Jesus walked out of that, that tomb victorious. He paid the price. On the cross, he said, it is finished. What did that mean? Your sin. He paid it in full. And now you're here and you're free. And it's in that freedom that the awe of the presence of God sets into this room. And maybe you're free to worship Him and lift your hands and cry out to Him in the most secure way you've ever had before. Why? Because your security comes from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in Him that you find your identity. It's in Him that you're whole. It's in Him that you have strength. He's called you to an impossible fight, but he's filled you with, this. the Bible says, the same power that conquered the grave. It lives in you. It lives in you. Would you clap with me all over this house? Just clap your, clap your hand or clap your, clap your leg. I know you got that thing. Just clap your leg. Come on, let's thank God. Come on, so many times we take this blood and it's like, this, this graciousness, it's like, oh, let's just drink it. No, 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 no. This set us free. This set us free. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this cup. Thank you that it represents my new life, only found in you. I am only impressed with you. I am only concerned with you. I am only consumed with what you think about me. All I want to hear at the end of my life is well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You accomplished what I called you to be. And I know, God, that I can't accomplish all that you want me to be and accomplish all that others want me to be. And so, God, I'm going to forget what they said. I'm going to be unimpressed with who they are. And I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Why? Because you were the author and the perfecter of my faith. And this represents the very first chapter when you changed me, saved me, and set me free. Let's take that, that cup of grape juice. I'm going to welcome the band back up here.